We're in Yivamos Nunehayim and 55A4 in the Art Scroll Gemara. The Gemara now uh, will have a few uh, shorter topics as it continues on in the discussion of Ha'ara. But before we even get to Ha'ara, there's one final uh, topic from the last Gemara about some of the repetition that we find in the Torah when it comes to uh, this topic of Arayas, of illicit relationships. And there's one more repetition. So just as a background to this repetition, we've been discussing kares uh, this entire time. The entire time we've been discussing distracted, there's a punishment of kares. Kares is generally defined as an early death. Now, in addition to an early death, the Torah sometimes says not only will they receive kares, they will also be aririm. They'll be childless. So it's not just an early death, but they will have no future generations. Uh, they will not have any have any children. And as we'll see. From this Gemara, also, even if they have their children, those children will also uh, die. Uh, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a punishment. Now, there's a discussion amongst the commentators. Our Gemara, which, which mentions this idea of Aririm, that part of Kares is that you will also be childless, does this, according to some, it applies for all cases of Kares. Whenever the Torah says the punishment is, is Kares, so it also means that the children will also die or the person will be childless. Some say that, no, it's limited to only times. Some of the commentators say it's limited to times where the Torah explicitly says Ariri, that it specifically says um, Ariri. It specifically says that the person will be childless, but it does not apply across the board. It does not apply to all cases of curries. Okay, so that is the introduction. So the Gemara says, Why does the verse say, uh, that aririm yiyu, that they shall be childless. The person who is deserving of kares will also be childless. It's repetitious because we also have elsewhere where it says aririm yamusu, that they shall die childless. It seems to be repetitive. So the answer is no, look at the Rabbah. We need it for Rabbah. Rabbah explains. The Rabbah Rami, Rabbah says that we have a contradiction. Ksiv aririm excuse me, yiyu. It says that in the future, they shall be childless, implying that if they had children, then they'll die, these children will die before he dies. Uksiv aririmusu. On the other hand, it says, they shall die childless, meaning that the person will die childless now, um, and he will not have childless right now, that he will not have, have children. So how do you explain that? So Rabbi explains. So the punishment is, is that if he had children, he will bury them. That's his punishment. If he doesn't have children, so then he will continue to be childless. He will not have children in the future. And the Mar now explains why we need both, why the Torah has to say explicitly for both. We need both phrases. Why? If we only had the Torah telling us that it's in the future that they shall be childless, that their children will die before he dies. You might have thought that the punishment is only with regards to the children that he already had before the transgression, before the Avera. But maybe he could have children after the Avera and those will live. So that's why the verse says, So the Pasuk says, No. Even he won't have any children in the future as well. And if the verse tells us just that he will 
that he will die childless in the sense that he won't have children from now on. You might have thought that the punishment is for any future children. Any future children, he won't have future children. That's what the punishment is. But with regards to previous children that he had, they will continue to survive. So the, the verse has to tell us both. This is uh, the punishment of Kares. Is that, at least uh, we, as we mentioned in the introduction, it could be that it's only when the verse says Ariri, or it could apply to all, all cases of Kares. Uh, but the, the point is, is that when it, whenever it does apply, it applies to both children from the past before the transgression, and also that you will not have children moving forward, moving forward after the avera, after the transgression. Okay, that is the end of that gemara. The gemara now returns to our broader discussion. What was the broader discussion? Why did we come? Why did we get into this? We got into this whole discussion because the Mishnah says that in order to fulfill the mitzvah of yibum, you have to do haara. You have to uh, at the very least, do ha'ara, which is just the beginning of the process of of bia, of having marital relations, and it's the beginning uh, of of going inside of 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 the insertion of the aver of the limb, and that is it doesn't have to be uh, complete the process, but just the insertion of the limb itself that would suffice. So the gemara asked, how do we know that? So the gemara until now was only discussing how do we know that one violates the prohibition of um, of severe prohibitions that have the punishment of a death penalty or of an early death of kares. But what about other scenarios? And also, what about yibum? We have to return back to this case of yibum. How do we know that yibum works based off of ha'ara? That just doing ha'ara alone, just the insertion alone, the initial insertion alone, uh, suffices. So the Gemara says ha'ara dechayi How do we know that it applies not just to severe? Uh, prohibitions with a severe punishment, but just even to a regular uh, negative commandment. So the truth is, and we'll see this in the Gemara later as well, there is one case, there's one scenario where you need to have a complete, uh, you, have to, you have to finish the entire process. You have to finish the entire process with a complete insertion and removal of the, the, the semen and that one case is a case of what we refer to as a shivcha harufa. It's a very unique case of a marriage. It's a different type of marriage. It's a marriage between a non-Jewish uh, maidservant and a, and a Jewish servant. So in general, Jews cannot marry non-Jews. The one case is where it's a Jewish servant marrying a non-Jewish maidservant. And so that case is allowed. However, even that marriage is not a typical marriage because let's say she were to commit adultery. In general, if you commit adultery, you get the death penalty. But if she commits adultery, so then she gets lashes, and the one that she commits adultery with doesn't even get lashes, that person has to bring a sacrifice. So it's a, it's a different type of a marriage. And so with regards to that marriage, we say that the only time uh, that it's viewed as adultery is actually if you complete the process. That's the one case, the one scenario where we say you have to actually complete the process. And that is an ordinary negative commandment. To uh, That's a regular love an ordinary negative commandment to for her to commit adultery. It's not a severe prohibition of the death penalty. And it says so explicitly in the Torah that in that case it says Sheikh Vazera that it requires uh, it requires uh, the completion of it, including the release of semen. So 
that implication is that implies that with regards to other averos, other sins which are similar to it, that have, are also ordinary negative commandments, the implication is that's the exception to the rule. All other cases, all we need is the initial insertion. Sigmar says, no, what are you talking about? Adarabba, I can tell you the opposite. I could have told you the opposite. The fact that when it says by, by severe prohibition, it says that Ha'ara alone suffices, that when it comes to severe prohibitions like incest and adultery, just the initial insertion is enough to be viewed as a prohibition. So that implies that when it comes to other prohibitions, other less severe prohibitions, you need to do more. You need to have a completion. They were answered, and, and so that would be the opposite. That would be the opposite conclusion. Sigmar says, no. Ravashi says, no. The fact that the Torah tells us explicitly by Shifcha Harufa, the Torah could have kept quiet by Shifcha Harufa. The case of Shifcha Harufa of the Jewish servant and the non Jewish uh, maidservant, uh, one, you know, the, if it was true for all ordinary negative commandments, so then it would also be true for that case, and then the Torah doesn't have to tell us anything in that case. The fact that the Torah tells us that in that case, it requires the completion, the actual completion of the act. So that implies that when it comes to other ordinary negative commandments, all that's needed is, in order to violate the prohibition, all that's needed is ha'ara, the initial insertion. Okay. What about other cases? Ha'ara, What about if it's an ordinary negative commandment, but it's with regards to kohanim, like with regards to kohen marrying a divorcee, or the kohen gadol marrying uh, a widow, uh, those are ordinary negative commandments that apply only to the Kohen. Maybe it's a separate category. So the Gemara says a concept called Gzereshava. It's a concept of Gzereshava that when we have a word that's found in two different places, it's there to teach us that we could, we could apply the law of one to the other. And so, so too over here, there's a certain words that are connected uh, to teach us that it, just like over there, it applies by Ha'ara, by just the initial insertion, so too when it comes to uh, the prohibitions of for Kohanim. Oh, okay, fine. That's ordinary negative commandments. What about if a person violates a positive commandment? So, for example, it says in the positive, with regards to the positive commandment, that you are allowed to marry a third-generation Egyptian. When they convert, you're allowed to marry a third-generation Egyptian, but not, the implication is, but not the first or second, but it's merely an implication. It doesn't say so explicitly, but it's what we refer to as a chayve as a ase. It's, it's the violation of a positive commandment. How do we know that? It's just through... Uh, the initial insertion of Ha'ara. Also there, it's also a concept of Gzir Shava, Asa Bia Bia. There's a certain Gzir Shava, there's this concept of a word which is found in one place, it teaches you the law about if the same word is found elsewhere, to teach us that Ha'ara is also what's, what, what creates the prohibition over there as well. Oh, what about Yivam Lashuk Minalan? What about, so we're getting closer and closer to Yivam, what about the case where you have the brother-in-law and sister-in-law and they are... Uh, supposed to do Yibam or Chalitza. In the meantime, she goes ahead and she marries somebody else. That is a prohibition. So where it says, well, slow down. What type of prohibition is this? There's a discussion. Is this an, an ordinary negative commandment or is this the violation of a positive commandment? Um, that, that itself is a discussion. But either way you go, it's either an ordinary negative commandment or a positive commandment. And we just said that for an ordinary negative commandment or for a pos- the violation of a positive commandment, either way you go, Ha'ara creates the prohibition. Just the, through the initial insertion, it creates the prohibition. So what exactly are you asking about the case of Yibam? So now we come back to our, uh, the whole reason for this discussion is Eliyavam Eliyavam And how do we know that when it comes uh, to Yibam, how do we know that when it comes to Yibam, that all you need is the initial 
insertion. So the Gemara says, oh, for that, we have Xer Shava. Asa Bia Bia. The truth is, is that there is Xer Shava. The same principle that we learn from two words that are connected, the same word that's found in two different places, that we can follow the rules. This is all learnt out from the oral tradition from passed on from, Mo, from Hashem to Moshe throughout the generations. And that uh, we learn from there that uh, that the law that applies in one area of halacha also applies to the other area of halacha. And also with regards to Yibam, in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Yibam, all you need is ha'ara. All you need is that initial insertion. So the Gemara has one last line here uh, with regards to this particular um, topic. And what about when it comes to a marriage? A marriage. And the simple explanation here is that when it comes to a marriage, we are referring to Kiddushin. We're referring to uh, the initial engagement. We've mentioned in the past that the way one can become engaged is through the giving of money or a ring, a document, a marriage document, or through having marital relations. So what does a person have to do in order to become halachically engaged? So the Gemara says, Asa kicha kicha. There too, we also have Xerah Shabbat. The same idea with the two words. And we learn from there too that all we require is Ha'ara. All we require is that initial insertion. Just to add to this a little bit, the Gemara, the Talmud elsewhere, seems to be against this principle when it comes to engagement. It seems to say elsewhere in the Gemara in Kedushin that the Gemara asks, is it the beginning of what, what creates the, uh, the engagement or the marriage uh, when you do it through marital relations? Is it the beginning or the end? And the Gemara says that a person has a mind to the end and so it's at the very end. That's when a person becomes engaged. And it would have ramifications if, let's say, they didn't complete the process. They only did the initial insertion. Um, and then she marries somebody else. Who, who is she married to? It could have different ramifications. So our Gemara seems to imply it's just the initial insertion. Another Gemara seems to imply it is the uh, the completion of the process, of the act. So which one is it? So this is a big discussion amongst uh, the commentators, and there are different answers uh, that are given. It could be one answer is that if a person actually completes the process, so then everybody agrees, it was at that moment that they completed the process, that's when the engagement took place. However, but not before then, and if they just, all they do is ha'ara, the initial insertion, and that's all they do, then they stop, so then, that is what creates the Kedushin. It depends on how much you actually do. That is one perspective. A second perspective is that if a person doesn't stipulate either way, we just assume that they want to complete the process and that's what creates the engagement. But if they stipulate that they want to do it from the beginning, it requires this, the initial insertion. And if that's the way they stipulate it, so then that itself also works. Meaning that itself accomplishes Bia, that accomplishes uh, the, it's viewed as having the process the, doing the actual sexual act um, but it's only a completion of the engagement that you, you only actually got engaged if you, you stated explicitly that that is what you wanted to have accomplished um, and that's a, that itself is a different perspective one final there are other answers as well but one final answer is a very fascinating answer which is that you know what the truth is is that you need to actually, in order to become halakhically engaged, you need to complete the process. You do need to complete the process. What is our Gemara discussing? Our Gemara is not discussing engagement. Our, our Gemara is discussing after you get engaged, you also then have to, when you get married, when you get fully married, and that's what our Gemara is discussing, which is a, a fascinating idea, which means that according to those, com, according to those perushim, according to those commentators, 
in general, we assume what creates the actual marriage after a person gets engaged. In general, we assume it's the chuppah, just standing under the chuppah, different ways of, uh, of fulfilling this concept of chuppah. But apparently, it could be more than just chuppah. Uh, it could, there could be a different way. And so those commentators, they explain that if a chuppah works, so then certainly having marital relations, after a person is engaged, having marital relations, that itself will complete the process and you will be fully married. And that's when Argamar is saying, you know what? If you already are, if you are already engaged, and now you are getting married, completing the process not through a chuppah, but by having marital relations. So then, just the initial act itself, the initial insertion itself, would suffice. But in order to become engaged, if you're going to take the route of of bia of having relations, that requires completing completing it. This according to this final approach, uh, but to be to to finish everything off for the marriage. So then, that just needs the initial insertion. Which is interesting, which means that according to this explanation, the connection between yibam of also an initial insertion is really more connected to the marriage. Not the engagement step, but really the marriage step. And both of them have a certain similarity in that there is a bond, there's a zika, there's a bond before the yibam. And so maybe all you need is just that initial insertion. And if you're already engaged, maybe all you need is that initial insertion uh, when it comes to completing the marriage according to that perspective. A few more lines in the Gemara. Let's see a few more lines of the Gemara. Amar Rava. Rava says, So we mentioned before that when it comes to Shifcha Harufa, this marriage or this type of a marriage, it's not exactly a, a full marriage, this type of marriage between a Jewish servant and a non-Jewish maidservant. So there it says, uses the word Shifcha There it says to complete the uh, the act itself of, of sexual relations. So over there, why does it say it over there? Why does it say it? there's two other times where it uses the same phrase, Shechva Zera, which is literally the removal of the semen to complete the act itself. It also says it with regards to um, committing adultery. It also uses that language, even though we know that to commit adultery, all to, to violate that, all you need is the initial insertion. And the third time it says it is with regards to the Sota. So the Sota we'll discuss in the next in the next recording. But what about the first two? So the Gemara says, Shifcha Harufa Amr. When it comes to Shifcha Harufa, this type of marriage between the non-Jewish maidservant and the Jewish servant, that we already explained. This, that is the one exception where we say you need a complete uh, act. It requires the complete act in order for the the woman, the non-Jewish maidservant, to violate adultery. But what about Eshesesh? What about when it comes to regular adultery? Over there, all you need is the initial insertion. So why does it mention that there's also the, the release of the semen. So the Gemara there says, says There it's to exclude the case of where there's Mishamish Mace, where there literally is that uh, the limb is dead. There's no erection whatsoever. In that case, in a case of adultery, the Gemara now is saying that that wouldn't be viewed as a violation of adultery if, uh, if the limb is the way the Gemara refers to it. In the cleaner language is that it's, it's dead. It's not... Uh, it's not active. So the Gemara says, wait a minute, that itself is a dispute. In a case of adultery, when uh, when they're committing adultery and the limb is maced, the limb is not active, it's dead. So is that viewed as a violation of adultery or not? That itself is open, that's a dispute. What you're saying makes sense if you hold that it doesn't, it's not viewed as a violation of arayos, of, of, uh, of ashes ish, of, of, uh, of adultery. But if you hold that there is a violation of adultery, even when it's mishamish meis, when the limb is not active, so then why would the verse say? We go back to our original question. Why would the verse say 
Sheikh Lazera, that it's a, it's a case of, of completing the act. I understand if it, it's there to teach you that the reason why it says that is not because you actually have to complete the act, but it's there to tell you that if, you're, if the limb is not active, if there's no erection, so then there's an exemption. But if you hold that, if it's not active, that there still is view, it is still viewed as adultery. So then why does it say Sheikh Lazera? Why does it say that there has to be the removal of the semen? So the Gemara says, Elapratlam Mishamish Mesa. Uh, this is a, a a case which, unfortunately, as Tosus points out, that this has happened in history. It's certainly not uh, not common at all. But it's a case of let's say you have a married woman and she passes away, and now a person goes ahead after she passed away and and performs and has sexual relations with this dead woman. Ter- terrible scenario, but it has t- sexual relations with this dead woman. So is that viewed as adultery or not? So you might have thought So you might have thought that maybe when it comes to other areas of law, we still view them as married even though she passed away. What other areas of law? When it comes to Tuma, or when it comes to uh, being viewed as a relative, whether or not, uh, for example, the Kohen could go to her funeral um, of, his, of his own wife, um, and with regards to the laws of Tuma, Impurity, we say that it is viewed as her wife, even though she passed away. So maybe so too over here, she should be viewed as married, and it would be viewed as committing adultery. So that's why the verse says that it's about an actual complete, complete completion of the act if she's dead. So then it's not viewed as adultery. Don't compare different halachos, even though it's true with regards to certain areas of law, we do view them as married. But it's not like we view them as married when it comes to adultery, and a person would not be viewed as violating, uh, committing adultery. When, when he's having relations with a married woman who died, where she herself died. Okay, we'll continue with the Gemara in, in the next recording.